Welcome. You're listening to Now That You Ask, curious answers to life's persistent questions as seen through the eyes of Akasha Halsey. That would be me. I'll be your host and guide as we settle in for a few minutes of the unexpected that may bring about your own questions and maybe even some answers too. Thanks so much for joining me. Now let's get started with the show. This piece is entitled Iran Number 2. I recently had lunch with my friend Liz, who was also in Iran at the same time I was. As I was recounting what an enlightening and uplifting experience that was for me, she exclaimed, Hey, don't forget about the gold and the rugs and, oh yeah, the drugs. Well, I have to admit that stunned me for a moment, taking my memories in an entirely different direction. So yes, there were lots of those things, but to my mind, in a, well, purely retail therapy type of way. Jewelry can command my presence no matter the form. While I am particularly taken with diamonds and other gemstones, my budget does not allow many of those desired purchases. What I value above all, though, is the care and precision that comes from making any kind of jewelry by hand. This includes tribal jewelry from any area in the Middle East, which is not to my taste ordinarily, but it does have its own cachet. One thing I learned in Iran is that these handmade pieces can make an otherwise blah outfit really stand out. Beadwork is tedious and labor-intensive, so a big necklace is an outstanding, comment-provoking statement no matter where you are. Not to mention the fact that these pieces are not available any longer to travelers in Iran if one is so foolhardy as to venture there these days. Iranian gold was 18 carat and eye-catching, being so much more lustrous than the 12 to 14 karat gold we see in the United States. Bracelets were meant to be stacked on your arm, and sometimes they were the entirety of a family's wealth. Earrings were ornate and sometimes quite large, as were my pair of delicately engraved pendant wedding earrings. Or they could be simple, like three-quarter inches wheels of gold, the ones that I brought home from my mother. While I didn't have a favorite gold dealer, I spent a lot of time pouring over the offerings that abounded in the souk, as the marketplace there was called. Persian rugs were all the rage in the States when I was in Iran, and available at a fraction of the price. Akbar, my beloved rug dealer, allowed any expat to spend as much time as they wished, drinking his very sweet hot tea and talking with him or anyone else that happened in. Often we extolled the quality of his rugs and his trustworthiness to strangers, perhaps hoping it would help when we begin our own bargaining for a rug we had our own. Now, I have to say I detest bargaining. I figure everyone needs to make a profit, so I depend on them to set a fair price. But that is not at all how a purchase is made in the Middle Eastern countries. Many of my friends claim the most fun for the dealer and the buyer was bargaining over the price. I told Akbar right up front I didn't want to do that, and it took us both quite a while to get used to my insistence on avoiding this ritual. He would sometimes start the price quite high. Thankfully, someone I knew usually wandered in and started the bargaining on my behalf. And after a few months, we both relaxed and were able to chat about the price without getting overly wrought. And occasionally he would tell me he would like to charge me less, but then he wouldn't make a profit. 
so I trusted him implicitly. Later on, I began to suspect he might be giving me too much of a discount, so I insisted on paying him more. Say what you will, this was my way, and I stand by it. In Iran at that time, just about anything you wanted was illegal. Ham, whiskey, interacting with the opposite sex, and drugs, for starters. Supposedly, you could be jailed for infractions of these edicts, but the Shah was in power and he held loose reins on what foreigners did. The fact of the matter was that everything was available for a price. All you had to do was hand over a little bribe called bakshish, and the gay men knew exactly where to get whatever it was you wanted. They knew the best restaurants, the best grocery stores, to use that term loosely, very loosely, the best housekeepers, cooks, and drug dealers. Marijuana, opium, hash, and tie sticks may not have been available at the corner market, but could be gotten in a day or so. This was a lifestyle I could get behind. A gardener for those lovely gardens behind the stone six-foot walls surrounding your house. A cook so you didn't dirty your hands cooking in the stove oven. Appetizers and a little booze before dining around 9 p.m., and to keep you going at a disco dancing to Gloria Gaynor singing I Will Survive. After the evening out ended, it was back to someone's house for eggs or some other food and then a collapse into bed. Weekends could be an endless party if you wanted them to be. I won't say I abstain, but I also won't say I love the drugs either. If I had to choose, opium would be my choice because it was a body high rather than feeling high and not being able to think. The downside was I always needed to throw up first to get to that space, so I didn't go in search of that very often. Most of the other drugs were too much for me, creating an almost comatose feeling too much of the time, so I preferred dining and dancing, although I will say a little puff or two of something made me feel like I was a dancing queen. There was debauchery for sure. There was also exchange of cultural ideas education about a powerful dynastic people at my fingertips, and a land like I had never seen, in its sweep from the beauty of the Caspian Sea in the north to the Shakespearean festival in Shiraz in the south. Iranians have been inventing, creating, and manifesting beauty in their buildings, rugs, jewelry, poetry, and music for years. They are a people steeped in beauty that are now forced to forego so much of this in their daily lives. I was extremely lucky to live there at Iran's most recent heyday, where I got a taste of what had been and saw a lot of the beauty of the country, along with the beauty of the people themselves. When I think of my time in Iran, appreciation is the word that comes to mind, the kind of appreciation that encompasses all of mankind and reminds me that we each have our own gifts to give and that everyone benefits when we share them. Thank you for listening to Now That You Ask. I hope you found this episode insightful and perhaps entertaining too. Don't forget to subscribe and if you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes. If you didn't like the show, well... I guess you just lost a few minutes of your life. But you might want to try another one. They're all really different. You can also listen to past episodes and subscribe to email updates on nowthatyouaskpodcast.com. Bye-bye for now.